Hi everybody and welcome back to You're on Crackmate, the podcast where we delve into films, television series and whatever takes our fancy really, analysing and reviewing them to the point where we've been told flat out, you're on Crackmate. This week in our ongoing series of films that are made later but come before earlier ones, I didn't phrase that very well. Star Wars prequels, Joseph Hurley, welcome back, how are you getting on? Hey Sean, how are things? Uh, this was quite possibly the worst two and a half hours I've ever spent in my entire life. For context, everyone, uh, we recorded the episode already on shows naming and shaming how terrible I was on the podcast. No. Um, I have a confession to make. We did actually say at the start of the show that this is about Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, right? I've totally forgotten if you said it or not. I didn't say it, and here's my confession. <laughs> I rewatched it. And I didn't hate it anywhere near as much as I thought I was going to. Jesus. I actually had to watch this in three segments because I cannot watch this movie in one go. It's, I, I actually find it physically impossible to do that. It's, it's, many, it's many things. It's many <laughs> things. Um, I now realize, I think I've seen it all the way through. I think this might have been my fourth time since it was released. So... Saw it when it came out. So it was back 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched this uh, about five years ago. I was doing a rewatch of the prequels. Um, and then I'm, I'm sh- I did watch it when it came out on DVD. That's it. That's, this is number four. Which for me, sorry, I'd I've seen Fellowship of the Ring 60 times. So like. So what were your memories of this when it came out? That's okay. I will just chop that off from the recording. Yep. Um, and yeah, shout if that happens again. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, my memories of, not not a lot, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I've always remembered the opening, um, the arrival of Senator Amidala, um, because in fairness to the sound design, THX is always pretty good at these things. Uh, that shook the seats in the cinema. Uh, we went to see it in the cinema and Tala, myself, um, my friend Darren. Uh, I really enjoyed that bit. Um, there wasn't an awful lot of high enjoyment moments after that. Um, it was quite quickly... Oh, it's a... No, I don't want to get too too deep in it. What are your memories of watching it for the first time, Joe? <laughs> I remember, like, I remember the ads on TV leading up to it. I'm um, when I was in college, uh, I used to remember I used to set a video to tape Batman the animated series every morning because it was on when I'd be over in college. I see all the ads and I'd be there going, "Oh wow, this is uh, this is going to be really kind of cool." Like, and I was there going, "Can't be as bad as the Phantom Menace." And um, I got the soundtrack before it came out. I also remember what was unique with the soundtrack is you couldn't rip the soundtrack. You couldn't take the files off it, George Lucas had made sure that you weren't allowed to do that. And you still actually can to this day. So I remember the night came out, I went to see About a Boy with Hugh Grant and um, not episode two. I remember I came out of About a Boy, everyone was streaming out of Star Wars and I bumped into a friend of mine, Keith, who was a big fan of the podcast who would be listening to this and is looking forward to me telling this story. 
And I bumped into him and he was like, oh, did you see it? And I said, no. I said, I probably don't see it now tomorrow or something like that. And he said, oh, spring. He said, that, that gladiator scene. I'm not going to say word for word that he said it was the best thing ever. But basically, he was kind of saying it was absolutely brilliant. He has lived to regret those words. But when I got, finally got to see it, we had, um, I went to see it on the day of my final exam in first year in college in the University of Limerick. Myself and my friend William, we had an exam at nine, so we were both up at five o'clock in the morning studying. And um, when the exam was over, then we got the bus, got it over to the Omniplex, the other side of the city, and we sat down. And we were watching it anyway, and like after about an hour, anyway, I was looking. I was thinking to myself, "Oh my God, this is actually terrible. It's falling apart in front of my eyes." And I looked over, and William was asleep, and I was there going. <laughs> If only I could do that. But uh, about maybe 15, 20 minutes later, I, I heard a kind of a rustling noise next to me. And I looked over and there was William. He kind of woke up from a slumber. He looked around, looked at the screen, looked at me, looked at the screen, looked back at me. And he said, is this crap still on? And then he went back to sleep. I, uh, first of all, that's brilliant. And second of all, Keith, we're going to need to have a word about what's brilliant and what isn't. Um, <laughs> oh, like... I, one of the, so, sorry, I'm, I'm just assuming now everyone giving you fair warning, I'm assuming you've seen this film before listening to this podcast, so I am going to, we're going to jump a bit all over the place, much like a character does towards the end of this film. I, this, I vividly remember. So everyone, I, I think every time I've seen uh, a Star Wars film in the cinema, everyone has kind of clapped and cheered when the big opening credits start in any film, right? Oh. So, which has been, it's God, been... oh, really? I've only experienced that once, and I, I, I wanted to just run up and just rip the screen down and go, stop that. We're not in America. Oh, no, no, actually. Well, well a couple of them I did the midnight, so you were already oh, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. a buzz anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was that with this one. I assure you that was, while there were more outbursts from the audience, not a lot of clapping. And when it came to Digi Yoda jumping around, um, it, I, I, knew, I almost felt bad for the film because everyone just dissolved into laughter. <laughs> and it was just like, oh my God. And Darren won't mind me telling you this. He would have been a bigger Star Wars fan than me at the time. And I think yeah. he both totally understood while they, why they were laughing while also being like, guys, come on, please. Don't, don't twist the knife any more than it already is. But, I think when we had discussed Star Trek 3, which is obviously the middle film in the trilogy of Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock and the Voyage Home, I said to you the importance of that movie. And when we were going back through this, and I was really considering the importance of this movie in the context of the story, because we know what's going to happen in the next film in terms of we know that the fall of the Jedi, we know the fall of the Republic, we know the rise of the Empire, and we know that Anakin Skywalker get kicked into lava and he will become Darth Vader. So... This film, and especially when you consider the first one had, you know, Anakin, who was whatever, eight years old, so we're now 10 years later. So you would effectively one movie to set up Anakin Skywalker as a family man, as someone who kind of was a really good Jedi, who was a friend to Obi-Wan Kenobi, and, you know, the start of the, you know, the destruction of kind of him and things like that. And that's why this film is such a massive kind of, you know, a feeling of kind of we've missed out on something here because of how poorly executed the whole thing was. It, like, this film um, is far too long yeah. because it meanders yeah. through plot points. Whereas if they had done some of the things they did in Revenge of the Sith, 
in this film. Uh, not not all of them. Like maybe, maybe maybe okay. Maybe, maybe it's better to kind of take it kind of uh, point by point. I would I would like to talk about the Jedi in this one first. Yeah, because you, I I I might actually I think I'm actually paraphrasing you. Because when we were talking, um, this is plagiarism. One hundred percent. Yes, but I'm crediting you. You know, that's, yeah. just like you know when you credit Wikipedia in your college <laughs> articles. Um, the these Jedi in this film, yeah, like, how, like lads, is anyone is anyone doing any kind of security work? Is you know what what is the point of you? Yeah, you know because. The, the fact that they are so easily being duped by... Well, sorry, sorry. Actually, I'm wrong. Um, Chancellor Palpatine put a hood on. So, like, <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah. Just like a bit Clark Kent and his glasses. But um, what, you, what you're saying there, like, and, you know, it's something that we, we were texting about, like, last week, in terms of this film, for me, just takes a bat to, you know, how kind of magical and special being a Jedi actually came across in the original trilogy like this. This comes across as cold, as manipulative, as inhuman, as non-feeling, and things like that. Like if you think of it, right? So according to the Jedi Order, you're identified as a young child, right? So then immediately you're taken away from your parents, right? You're gone. So that's basically it, right? You're number one, you're taken away from your parents, right? So as you grow old, as you're getting going to adolescence, like how did the Jedi deal with you going through puberty? How did they deal with you going through having emotions? How do they deal with you having you know, attraction to the opposite sex or same sex? Things like that. There's no indication of it. And it's almost like that you have to deny how you feel to be a member of the Jedi Order. You said to me as well, like in terms of, you know, you look at Anakin Skywalker, he's clearly for the last 10 years had massive issues with the fact that his mother is still a slave. Mm. And like at no point did the Jedi Order say, listen, no hassle, we'll go over, we'll pay, we'll pay the ransom, she's done, she's taken care of, she's no longer a slave. Or also... Does Anakin not get any annual leave during the year to take holidays? And if he takes holidays, can he not just say, listen, lads, I'm off to Tatooine to see my mother? Like, is there rules against that? Because there's no reason to think that in 10 years, he didn't just go home to see his mother once. It's just, it's, it's just, it's ludicrous. Like, I really just don't understand, you know, like what the specialness of actually being in the Jedi Order is from this movie. I yeah, it, it, like as you say, the the magic of like Alec Guinness's Obi Wan Kenobi, and I I'm not here to shit on uh, you McGregor because I love you McGregor, right? But Alec Guinness's Obi Wan Kenobi, there was something very mystical. There was you know, it was almost. Sorry, now if you can hear me, you have frozen. So I'm just going to see if that's a problem on my side. So yeah, so like Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan Kenobi from uh, New Hope, there was something mystical. There was something really mysterious about being a Jedi. And there's obvious this slight continuity, <laughs> the slight continuity areas, which I'll, we, we, might, uh, we might leave that for next because they get a whole lot funnier in Revenge <laughs> of the Sith. <laughs> um, but like you, you really get the sense that you get the sense he chose to be a Jedi. Maybe, like, 
Like that's it. Like obviously you, you raised the point, like, you know, when you're a kid, you're taken away from your family. It's kind of like the unsullied in Game of Thrones almost. But uh, like Qui-Gon says it in Phantom Menace when he's talking to Shmi Skywalker, he says, if he was in the Republic, we would have identified him sooner. And it's almost like you're at home with your family one day and you decide to lift up a, you know, a glass with your hand and suddenly just knock on the door. Listen, he's gone. Bye. Say goodbye to your family. You're going to now take on a responsibility of learning the Jedi way, becoming a soldier, whether or not you like it or not, becoming a guardian of peace and justice in the galaxy and things like that. But it's interesting when we look at, say, The Last Jedi and uh, Luke, he says you know, about the arrogance of the Jedi is what destroyed it. And like you see a lot of that in this movie here, like when Yoda, Mace Windu and Obi-Wan Kenobi are all talking to each other, Yoda basically says about the arrogance in the older and the younger Jedi that has become a lot more prevalent. You're kind of there going, yeah, but like, what are you going to actually do about this? Like, and when Obi-Wan is looking for Kamino, he goes into the Jedi library and he talks to the librarian there who looks like she's about 900 years old. And she's basically there going, yeah, it's not there. And then they're going, if it's not there, it doesn't exist. And they're going, but hang on a second, like you find out then about a scene later that it was only deleted from the Jedi archives in the last, you know, maybe couple of years. And you're going, so nobody knew about this planet. No one ever heard of this planet at all. No one had a clue that it was there. And it's just the arrogance just flies through it in, in the entire thing. Like, and last point I just quickly make is that this is a movie that would have benefited from if we'd seen Anakin being trained for him to actually understand about the Jedi, when we get into this film, it's almost like everyone knows what the Jedi Order is and what to do. Mm. We as the audience don't, and we need someone to really explain the day-to-day to us, and we don't have that. So there's too much, yeah, everything's in place, and we're not explained really what's going on. I'm, I'm thinking of the, the bounty hunter, uh, Ziff, I think, um, where they chase her into the bar. Yeah. And Anakin says, go about your, you know, don't, nothing to see here. This is Jedi business. It's like, <laughs> like, what are you, the SS? <laughs> like, you know, you will what go you... back to your drinks and you will pay no attention <laughs> to the people in the costumes. And even like two minutes before that, Obi-Wan gives Anakin back his lightsaber and he says, this weapon is your life. And you're there going, what are you talking about? This is nonsense. This is completely not what the Jedi are supposed to be about. Like a weapon is your life. Like that's such a cowardly thing to say. Basically, you've got nothing unless you have a weapon in your hand. You're not sure that's, that's a horrible thing to say. But then it's backed up what you say, Anakin's line of, you know, Jedi business. It's just... It's this dark and just disgusting kind of almost like Gestapo-like kind of a, a approach to it. Like big ton, big ton. I, w- I will say for my sense, I one thing I'm not familiar with very much um, is the expanded universe and say, uh, particularly I'm thinking Old Republic Jedi, yeah. you know, and potentially maybe as somebody who chose to do a podcast on Star Wars Episode Two, I should have <laughs> gone into that. But <laughs> there is, there really is a sense of well, why do they do things? Oh, because yeah. they do them. Yeah. As opposed to there being any through logic. I mean, are they their own version of bounty hunters in a way? Are, you know, the missions that Obi-Wan goes on, uh, you know, he comes up against Django. Is Django a kind of a reflection of him in a way? And we are just, as an audience, it is assumed we will root for the Jedi. But when you look at, say, Neo in The Matrix, like Neo comes into a world... And he doesn't understand it. 
So we understand the world through everyone, him and his experiences, what people are telling him and things like that. Like imagine if we were just thrown into it and we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know like why the world has been destroyed. We didn't know that we scorched the sky and things like that. And we're missing out hugely on that. But there's a few things as well, like, like almost from the very start, you know, in this title crawl, like, you know, because we were doing this review, I was kind of there going, right, I'm really going to try and pay attention to even the smallest thing. But in the, there's references here to like limited number of Jedi that they're overwhelmed and things like that. And you're there going, but, but in what way, like, in what way is that shown? In what, like, why are they overwhelmed? Like, what's going, like, there's no war at the moment. So why are they overwhelmed? And why is the limited number of Jedi? Is it that like they haven't met their quota for the month? Or is it a case that like, you know, they, you know, they haven't been able to kidnap enough children from their parents and things like that? There's no explanation. So like, it's all well good to say they're struggling, there's limited number of Jedi, but you have to explain why, and then you have to explain how that's having an impact. Like when you see the Jedi in this movie by narrative, it's all, oh, happy go lucky, we're all having fun here in the Jedi headquarters and things like that. But at the same time, they're going, but there's a limited number and they're struggling, but you don't see that. And I think that's the biggest problem we have in these three films is that we're just told these things, but we never see the impact or we never know where the impact is coming from. That's, I see. Well, and, you know, as you were saying about like, what, you know, how are they struggling? Because they, they seem to have a completely, they're completely free of the law. Like they are completely yeah. independent of the Galactic Senate. Um, you know, one example being in a bar, Obi-Wan chops off Ziff's, Ziff's hand, you know, and much like obviously a new hope, it's, you know, sorry for the mess, go about your business, you know. Mm. Um, and whatever about in Moss Eisley, where there's no police force to be even thought of, uh, apart from those stormtroopers who are clearly standing outside, but that's hardly a point. Um, we are here on Coruscant, which is supposed to be the capital of everything. And oh, I can just chop somebody's arm off. It's fine. And okay, so that me- that tells me the Jedi are above the law. They could do absolutely anything they want, any covert mission grant. So then Mace Windu, and love Samuel L. I, I do. He's probably one of my favorite characters in the prequels, but... Mace Windu sits down and says, oh, we're not, we're not a soldier force. You know, we're, it's like, well, what are you then? <laughs> you know, you can walk around with lights, with deadly weapons, which are your life, apparently. Um, and, you know, allegedly, Bad Motherfucker was written on his lightsaber, which I think mm-hmm. is wonderful. Um, so, but what is your purpose other than to be a kind of a figure of society uh, an extremely exclusive club because, you know, we only steal the very best of children. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like, I, I, you know, I can't knock rock up to the door and say, yeah, look, I've developed my life, you know, no problem at all. But, you know, can I join in? So even apparently that poor Jedi, who, as you say, was about 900 years old and she's a librarian, chose to be a librarian because she had been stolen as a child. Um, there's, there's other things as well like the, again we're, 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 it's mentioned a couple of times that like that the Jedi can't access the force like they used to be and even Yoda says at one point like blind we are the creation of the clone army we can't see but again I remember like when I was watching this again because I you know I knew those lines from it from watching it previously and I was there going right I'm going to watch it this time and really see where do they say that this is where is the build up being to this and she's like, no, they're sort of going, we can't access the force. And you're going, but like, in what way can't you access the force? Like, like 
when you're sitting in Palpatine's office, do you notice it more strongly there? Like if you're not on planet, do you notice it less? And you're there going, but like, in what way can't you access it? And I just, and I, and even that, I was kind of there going, but it doesn't make a difference. You've got a lightsaber and that's your life at the end of the day. So like, what difference does it make? I just couldn't get over watching it again. I was there going, this really did just, you know, obliterate being a member of the Jedi Order for me. Yeah, I mean, gone are gone is the suggestion that being a Jedi is something special, and yep. here it's um, only Yoda seems to use wisdom as his primary tool. Everyone else uses their lightsaber as their primary tool. Um, oh, I've got I, I've got I've got a few points against Yoda from this movie. Like. I mean, all right, so potentially this will lead into this, right? So question, right? If Yoda is effectively the embodiment of the Force, I'll be ripped for saying that, but let's, let's, let's just take my interpretation of it there for a second. Yeah. He's sitting there beside, oh, I don't know, Satan. Does he not pick up on some sort, on the dark side of the Force? Yeah. Um, nothing. Abs- and yet, and there's so much talk about, oh, this disturbance in the Force, oh, he's strong with the Force. Why, mm, is it not odd that the, the, you know, the Chancellor is absolutely whacking of the Force in front of us here? Hmm, maybe he should have been a Jedi. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was less a question as it was a rant. Uh, so, do you think that what I said was true? Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's just when you when, when you look at it, like when you look at The Empire Strikes Back and, you know, you look at, you know, when we meet Yoda for the first time, when Luke goes to Dagobah, he meets, he's trying to find this great Jedi master and then Yoda comes out and he's just annoying Luke intentionally just to try and get him to react and kind of see what his emotions are like and things like that. And then when, you know, Luke says, you're Yoda, totally different. You know, this wonderful mystical person comes out and he gives these wonderful speeches about the force and things like that. When I was listening to the commentary on the movie and the scene where Yoda is teaching all the kids, again, straight away, that destroys anything special about being taught by Yoda. You're literally thrown in with a group of 20 other kids and you're given a lightsaber. <laughs> Just, like, there's bound to be amputations left, right, and center every day. Okay, so today Johnny left, lost his left arm and his foot from his right leg is now gone. This is fine. we learned today, Johnny? You're slow on the left side, all right? So you're going to have to compensate on the right side for that. I forgot you. They're not going to tell their parents because their parents are no longer allowed to see them. <laughs> Where are they going to cry to? Go home and cry to your mama. <laughs> Can't go home and cry to anybody. Like, and you're not allowed to have emotion to Jedi Order either. So basically, when your armor's hacked off, you have to kind of sit there and go, this is fine. <laughs> it's like that meme of the dog in the burning room. It's just there. <laughs> Poor little child going, why is my arm over there? But it's grand. Listen, I've got this laser sword here. I'm going to get that person back first. <laughs> like, here's a few things I've written down. Oh, sorry, actually, on that thing about teaching the kids, when I was listening to the, to the behind our commentary, George Lucas was saying, he said, oh, we wanted to give a bit of fun side back to Yoda. And he's, you know, when we see him, the Empire Strikes Back for the first time, he's fun, he's making jokes. And you're going, buddy, 
do, do you not know like that that was an act he was putting on an act to piss off luke skywalker do, do you not see that that's that's completely not what he's doing like he's, he's not having a bit of crack the sounds percent he's just trying to annoy him to try and see where his emotions are at and things like that but here's a few things i spotted when obi-wan comes to yoda about the missing planet yoda says the end of it i'll meditate on this nothing ever happens nothing happens right after Anakin massacres the entire uh, Sand People camp, it cuts back and she's talking to, Yoda's talking to Mace Windu and he says, Skywalker's in pain, tremendous pain. Nothing is done about that at all. Not like Probably Jesus. not as much pain as the Sand People were in, but okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, look, Jesus, the, we'll talk about the lightsaber fight later. Sweet and adorable God, like... Um, <laughs> just i just it's I like again it's just there was the yoda shouldn't even have yoda shouldn't have a lightsaber he's too bloody good to have a lightsaber things like that it's just exactly. also, yeah mm. we, 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 we'll get to that because I, I think we would have to devote a bit of time to the third act but <laughs> the first 27 acts the, before we get to the third act. Um, yeah, well, one last plot point question I have to ask, right? This, yeah. Again, again I, I, I totally confused, right? So at the start of the movie, they're debating creating a, Repub a Republic army, right? Now, in A New Hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi says that the Republic existed for a thousand generations, right? This shows how little George Lucas pays attention because in this movie, Palpatine says a thousand years. You know, a generation is between 20 to 30 years. So we're talking about 20,000 to 30,000 years where George Lucas is saying 1,000, right? So anyway, that's fine. So in 20,000 years or even 1,000 years, there was no Republic Army, right? Mm -hmm. That's fine. So anyway, Padme is there going to Coruscant to basically try and stop the Military Creation Act, okay? Which obviously would have been, we're going to create a military, we're going to get people conscripted in or whatever, and we're going to have an army. At the end of the movie, Jar Jar Binks gives an impassioned speech and says, let's create the army and let's give it to Palpatine. Yeah. And then mysteriously out of order, they're, they're there going, anyway, we've got a million guys here who've been bred on a secret planet. They have a load of ships. They are beholden to no one because they're basically slaves who have no rights or identity. And we're going to send these people into war to defend you. And no one can thought to say, hang on a second, who are these guys? What's going on here? Like... And you're right, because it's it's confirmed in Revenge of the Sith. I know I'm jumping ahead, but like everyone's, yeah, we're well, brilliant. Woo, we're going to clap. And it's like, did, can just someone go, yeah, yeah, it's great. Where do I sign up? Oh, you don't. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. All right. Okay. Oh, I see. It's like that then. Um, but... and, and when they're stealing more kids, they're going to see that war there we're going to train you to lead all these clone troopers into battle in years to come but i don't want to do that tough luck buddy you have the force you're ours now that's the end of it I we're just, just going to play with the funny light sword <laughs> you know, and move things with my mind no you are now a general sorry what um oh oh dear okay right okay so Anakin, all right, let's talk about the Hayden Christensen in the room. Um, his performance, all right, here's my contro another controversial statement. Uh, it's not very good. No, but it's aged a little better because 
a bit like we, we discussed the last time about the completely inappropriate reactions to Jake Lloyd and yeah. Ahmed Best. Um, and I think people felt slightly more, uh, slightly safer in their hate of Hayden Christensen because, oh, well, you know, he's an adult. He can take, yeah. I suppose Ahmed Best, but anyway, um, you know, oh, he's an adult. He can take it. And it's just, yeah, right, he's not the best actor in the film. And he's given far too much to do, which is why one of the other things that I think this film spends too long doing is removing any and all mystery uh, of Anakin Skywalker or, you know, obviously I'm not the first person to say like, oh, yeah. who was Darth Vader before he became Darth Vader? He was a bitch, is who he was. Um, and that's, well, it's not fine, but... It's um, like, as we discussed about, like, Jake Lloyd the last time, like, I felt bad for Ahmed Best because clearly the removal of Jar Jar Binks from this movie was a direct result of the fan hate towards him. The only thing I'd say is that at least with Ahmed Best, he was allowed, he was actually still brought on. He was actually making a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, web kind of series for the StarWars.com website at the time. So I think it was kind of like... Look, sorry, buddy. Everyone hates you. Um, I'm not just going to take you out. Here's a couple of things you can do behind the scenes for us. So I appreciated that. But like when you look at this, I don't think any actor could have in any way made this script, this character in this movie remotely kind of, you know, like a, a decent person because it's just not possible. He comes across as a complete asshole the entire movie. There's not, there's very, there's very little in it that you can... Again, as we said, like the setup really in this was to, you know, make him into a good guy so that his, you know, his fall was more tragic. Now, his fall is tragic. We know it is. But it's more of a case of that how it's kind of presented is horrible. Like, like when you look at the love story we have in terms of, you know, when you actually really kind of break it down, like the first time you meet inappropriate comments made towards Padme, the second time they meet the morning after assassination attempt, he starts slagging off his boss and, you know, making creepy statements again. The next scene when they go off to course or to Naboo on the ship, now fair enough, he does well there because they're just chatting away and he talks about love and things like that. And that's grand. When they get to Naboo and they're talking to the queen, he's kind of, you know, he gets annoyed when she calls him a Padawan learner and he's going to listen, I'm in charge of security. Mm. Then when he talks about sand, that is directly <laughs> after she tells this lovely memory she has of, I love coming here and I love doing this. And he's there, I hate sand. I absolutely hate sand. Sand is crap. I hate sand. Then they go out to the line that will live on in infamy forever. Desperate. Then they go out to the waterfall, and he basically says that he supports a fascist dictatorship, and he gets jealous when she mentions the first guy she ever kissed. And like you're kind of there going, what's going on? Then they have the you know romantic fireside kind of catch up, and this is again where love story really kind of just makes no sense. She's saying she can't have, you know, relationships with him because she's a senator. And you're going, but what the hell difference does that make? Like, that's got nothing to do with anything. And, like, it really should have been a case of she should have been chasing him because then at least it would have been a case of, you know, she was tempting him away from the Jedi Order and things like that. That would have made more sense. But for them not to get together just even made kind of, you know, there was just no, no sense behind it. But I still think the coup de grace is, you know, he goes back to, you know, to Tatooine, he finds his mother just before she dies. He butchers every single sand person there, goes back to the house, and he basically tells Padme, so I didn't murder just the men, I, I murdered the women, and I murdered the children. And then basically she's there going, I love you, I absolutely love you, and I've wanted to tell you that for so long. 
at, at this at this point it's it, like there is suspension of disbelief which <laughs> you know that's fine it's a sci-fi movie where people fly around in the silly ships there's suspension <laughs> of disbelief going into the movie that's fine but you know oh what's a bit of slaughter between friends it's kind of one of those things where you know let's say flash forward 60, 70 years, Leia passes away. She goes up to heaven. She's like, ma'am, I've got questions. <laughs> a lot of questions here. Uh, a lot did, of questions. Do you not see the warning signs? Um, <laughs> they were pretty loud and clear. Uh, or even, you know, God forbid, when, you know, poor Obi-Wan goes and he was just like, yeah, yeah. I'd my head cut off by your bow, you know? <laughs> um and that's, it's, it's, it's too, it, it, it's asking too much of the audience to just go, oh yeah, listen. Oh yeah, listen. Well, you know, he had a tantrum, so kill them all. You know, it's like, no, like, no that, is, that is a disproportionate reaction. Yeah, I think like that's the biggest kind of issue with it. Like there's so much kind of like, as you said, look, it's a movie of laser swords and, you know, wizards and things like that. So we have to do suspend belief enough but like with the love story you know it's just it's very hard to kind of say to yourself going this man is a you know a lovable person and he's a tragic character he's not he comes across as just angry the whole time he's angry at his boss he's angry at not being able to save his mother you know he, and he's angry that he can't have the, the woman that he wants in his life and things like that and you're just there going but there's nothing here to kind of hang on to and say this is a good, decent, you know, human being. Like, there's no sense of that at all. Like, it's funny. I said when I I sent you on the Rotten Tomatoes podcast, and when the the host on it, she was talking about the love story, and she was there going, "Look, I've always had issues with the love story in Empire Strikes Back between Han and Leia." And I was there going, "Look, I get that. That's fair enough." But she was saying the love story here is very honest and true, and I was there going, "I genuinely don't have a clue what you're on about. There's nothing here in this. There's nothing between them. Like every time." She says something, he tries to contradict it or turn it into uh, something that he can give out about. There doesn't even seem to be, for the most part, there doesn't seem to be any chemistry. I mean, like even if, say, right, there was no love, it was all lust. Yeah. That, you don't get a feeling of anything. You, you, just, you just feel, or at least I feel, as an audience member, well, they're going to end up together anyway. Yeah. So we'll show some scenes of them, you know, being you know in you know playing around in a meadow or, or things like that uh because and of course she's going to be okay with some of his deeds because they're going to be and that's the justification they're going to end up together because luke and leia need to be made so you know that has to happen so it doesn't really matter what happens between now and then which also then cycles back into what you were saying before about there is no reason really to root for Anakin but he's not an anti-hero either he's just so thinly written yeah um, that it, it's just scene after scene after scene like Obi-Wan's search for Kamino while not perfect is still a more compelling story yeah um, and when your big romantic story is probably supposed to be your A plot that's a problem <laughs> But the, like, you know, when I was watching it again, and I was watching the scene between Anakin and Padme, Padme after he's murdered everybody, and you're kind of there going, right, so in the last 24 hours, he's just found his mother who was, who's died in his arms that he hasn't seen in 10 years and hasn't been able to get over the separation from her. She's now dead, which is probably traumatic enough, probably counselling. 
and now he's just got off and just you know, murdered an entire camp. Like, if you drive out to the camp now, or the body's just literally lying there. Like, could you imagine the children dead, like as well, on the ground? <laughs> They're going. This is the time. This now. This is the time to tell him I love him. I, 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 I think he's really shown his commitment and passion to you know being a complete and utter psychopath. And at the same time, after all this has happened, Yoda's on the other side of the galaxy, going. Jesus, maybe someone should have the Skywalker fella out. Not me, though. <laughs> Not me, man. Not a chance. Oh, I'm meditating. No, 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 no. I, I, I couldn't possibly. I couldn't. Mace, do you, do, you, do you mind? Do you mind? No, you've got some cool dialogue to spout <laughs> later on. Okay, you're, you're busy as well. Uh, what about we, we, Knobhead over there? Um, <laughs> but we look at it then as well. So the integral parts really were two for Anakin, obviously. Like one is, you know, the love story, which we've now discussed. <laughs> And the next thing is the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Now, of course, it's all based on like his line, uh, Obi-Wan's line in you know, New Hope, where he says he was a good friend. So here's the chance to show the friendship. There is no friendship in this movie between these two men at all. The closest you get is in the elevator at the start of the movie, uh, where they mention about something they did before, which we didn't see, which we didn't experience. So all we get is every time they're together, they argue. And every time they're not together, they give out about each other behind each other's backs and things like that. Yep. Yeah. And, and, like nail on the head. Like Obi-Wan of A New Hope is not the Obi-Wan that's in this film. And yep. like, obviously, Alec Guinness is not Hugh McGregor. So, spoiler, hot take there. Um, <laughs> but, and it's not that Hugh McGregor's doing a bad job or anything. It's just like... Just a, you said it beautifully bluntly it's like george you wrote these you know like just go back to your own bookshelf and go all right oh i said they were friends oh do you know what i might do is i might put in some friendship um and like i if they had flipped and had obi-wan as i I get this is the skywalker you know the fall of Anakin fine but if they had made Obi-Wan the lead and maybe had Anakin in the background much yep. as he was obviously for much of episode one yeah you know, he's not the lead character um and you know given more depth to that and maybe got a little bit better into just exploring the Jedi overall so that when it comes to the next film Anakin he you know his rise and fall, if you like, yeah. would have a, a lot more depth to us. Um, you know, you wouldn't have had so much wasted time talking about sand. Um, and like, it but just, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, if you look at it, we're, we're cutting two things. Like, in the trilogy, in the prequel trilogy, you've got two things that we have to look at one is Anakin Skywalker's rise and fall. And two, the Clone Wars as a galactic thing. So you've got two choices to make. Do you make the Clone Wars the whole focus of the first three, of the three prequel movies with Anakin just as a kind of a you know background character, or do you make it all about Anakin Skywalker? The problem then is you've wasted a movie in the first one because he's not the central character in it. So now you're kind of playing catch up. You're going right. We know the third one is going to be him falling down. So this is the one where we got to build him up. Obviously, I'm repeating myself now when I say it, but this was the opportunity to make him into that character. Like what we said is, you know, in the elevator scene where they, when they talk about falling to the nest of Gundarks and things like that, you know, we don't see it. We don't experience it. It'd be basically like if we watched Empire Strikes Back 
and Luke crashes on Dagobah. The next time we see Luke on Dagobah, he's leaving Dagobah and he's there to Yoda. Thanks very much. I've learned so much about the Force. I'm gone. Bye. I know you might, like, if you're listening to this, you might go, ah, that's nonsense. But that's kind of, you know, the equivalency, really, of it, like, because you're missing out on everything. Like, the biggest thing we missed out on was Anakin learning about the Force, his training with Obi-Wan, and the, the relationship that they developed together. Bring it forward 10 years was a you know a huge mistake and it's a massive missed opportunity to really see the type of person that he actually is like you're right as well because 10 years so what's he supposed to be 17 and this is because how 18 yeah 17 18 yeah. Yeah, yeah so i mean he's still like and obviously hayden christensen was slightly older not too much but he was slightly older so maybe lean more into the as you said you know jedi dealing with puberty so yeah. maybe lean a bit more into that storyline because I one thing I got obviously from rewatching Phantom Menace is that there isn't actually as much of an age difference between Padme and Anakin. I remember thinking it was hilarious back in 2002. It was like, oh, well, bloody hell, I want her surgeon. You know, she's supposed to be, you know, but of course she was only 14 in Phantom Menace. Yeah. So, you know, coming forward into this, she's 24, he's 18. Grand, that makes a lot more sense. But she would still have, presumably have had, you know, been through pyramiding about the other side. I don't know how, how long it takes for Nabooians to go through it. But you could you could almost explain away some of his outbursts in that, well, yeah, like no one is giving him any direction on how to handle the things that he's feeling, as well as you've mentioned already, having to deal with the death of his mother, having to deal with learning still learning to be, you know, space priest. Um and you know, you've got Obi-Wan who doesn't know how to handle raising a child. Yep. Um, and none of that is addressed. He's just, uh, I am angst. Uh. But some of the scenes, like when they get off the elevator, basically Anakin is saying to Obi-Wan, I absolutely love this woman. And you're kind of there going, wait a second, but no, what? I've seen her in 10 it, years. But what's even, what's even more kind of surprising about it is, is that into the, like... You can tell what are the what were the reshot scenes in the movie quite easily because Hugh McGregor's beard absolutely doesn't fit on at all properly because he'd gone off to film Black Hawk Down. He had the head shaved and all that kind of thing. And like, like the scene, there's three scenes that I can remember off the top of my head that were reshot. Like the encounter with Count Dooku after he's been um, after he's been arrested, which obviously you know was needed because originally it was going to be Dooku and Padme talking about the Republic. The scene when Obi Wan. Mace Windu and Yoda are speaking to talk about the you know the arrogance of the Jedi and all that and the elevator scene the first time you see Anakin and Obi-Wan that was a reshot scene and you're kind of there going as little as we had in the movie uh, of a relationship between the two of them like if that scene had to be reshot you know was put in afterwards like imagine take that out you've got nothing you absolutely have nothing in it and that's all George Lucas felt he needed to put into the film in terms of our relationship to two of them was a quick 30-second scene in an elevator. Yeah. And, like, think, think back to The Phantom Menace, Sipe. So when we are introduced... No, I'm not going to think back to The Phantom Menace ever again. <laughs> you will, you will. Join us next week as we live stream watching all, all of the movies. No. Um, when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are introduced, like uh, it, it, it is that. There is no elevator scene, as you say. So you're just like, oh, okie dokie, Grant. And you're right. I mean, yeah, there's no friendship between the two no. of them at all in Phantom Menace. There is 
slightly more, but I credit that more to the lad's performance than to the yeah. actual script. Um, yeah. And I, I will, you know, I mean, Ewan McGregor is a great actor. I will give that to Hayden Christensen as well. He, he gets a lot of hate, but some of the moments between him and Obi-Wan land. But did you say, there just aren't that many. No. Um, and these I are give, supposed to be, oh, these were my, my closest friends, my brother, you know? But you look at, like, any scene with the two of them together, it's just, it's consistently awkward, like, like, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just going through my head, like, I'm thinking about five or six scenes in my head, and they're going, there's no scene where they're going, she's weak and great together. It's always basically, you know, Obi-Wan going, Anakin, for the love of God, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. And well, Anakin going, Ugh. But The very first scene is like, we won't do anything outside our remit. <laughs> it was like, all right, you could have said this in private, but okay, whatever. No, you felt, you felt the need to tell me that in front of a room full of people. That's fine. Thanks very much, Obi-Wan, you prick. But you see, like, as well, like, yo, after the assassination attempt on Pat, like, clearly Obi-Wan Kenobi has no interest in this mission whatsoever. He's clearly there going, look, whatever, I'll, 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 I'll check Punch under the my bed. Card, I'm out of here, yeah. <laughs> I'll check under the bed for a monster, but if none there, like, I'm sitting down here watching TV for the night, I don't really care. And then, it's you know, they... all right, R2's on it. It's fine. And, like, when they run into the room, then, like, you just see Obi-Wan look out the window and he sees the, the, the probe drive. And he probably be there going, ah, yeah, whatever, we'll get it again. But no, he runs and jumps through the goddamn window. And you're going, okay, now, I don't really think he cares enough to do this. Like, surely it should be Anakin being the one who just recklessly dives out the window and tries to grab onto the thing. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, it le- that at least would have made more sense that Anakin is so crazy infatuated with Padme that, like, somebody farts three buildings over, he'll be there with a lightsaber to go, just in case she smelled it. <laughs> um, because it's, it's it's us. Whereas Obi Wan would have been like, I'm I'm sure it's been established somewhere else that you know the Jedi have super recollection powers. Something like you know, oh okay, yeah, I saw the type of droid. It was this, and it's only used by these bounty hunters. Grant will look after you, probably. You know. But, but when I was listening to all the commentary on all that kind of thing, and it was talking about cheaper, it was it was all the stuff that George was saying. This was done. This was done. This was done. And I was there going, but none of that is you know covered in the film. Like I think it was like Dooku was responsible for paying Django Fett to pay someone else to try and assassinate Padme. Yeah, and, like and Sidious apparently, Sidious is in some way responsible for getting the Sand People to kidnap and kill yes, Shmi yeah. Skywalker yeah. as yeah. well. Knowing that would drive, and it's like, yeah, right. These are good plot points. It would have been very nice if any of this was in the film. But hang on a second. Here's one that's that's driven me bananas for years now. Like, probably as you said, the expanded universe might cover this off. But these are three movies that shouldn't. You don't need the expanded universe. There's put like this right. When I sat down to watch the Rise of Skywalker, I'm sorry, and I know, yeah. (laughs) I still haven't watched it since that opening night in the cinema. That's how much I just can't bring myself to watch it. But like the title card opens, it says the dead speak. And I was there, oh God, this is actually hell. What's going on? <laughs> and, and it says, Palpatine has sent, Sorry. <laughs> says Palpatine has sent a message across the galaxy. And I was there, what? I said, was there like something that I missed before this movie started? I said, what's going on? And then it turned out that the message he delivered was actually played in Fortnite leading up to the movie and i was there going but they're going to play the message in the movie right because i didn't know this and like this is fairly integral to the movie and then like the opening scene is like poe and finn on the million falcons oh they're going they're going to get the message now and then it's just bypass and i was there going 
Right. So this is now completely all over the place. Um, but like in this film, like who in the name of God is Sifo Diaz? Like he was just brought up as they're going, oh, Jedi Master Sifo Diaz ordered the clone army to be created. Now Obi-Wan's there. Yeah, he's dead. He died about 10 years ago. Uh, and you're going, but... That was actually, I, and only, only because I went and looked. Sifo Diaz. So I just kind of went in my head, I went, oh, well, I presume then Sifo Diaz is um, uh, a pseudonym of Count Dooku. Uh, Count Dooku then became a Sith and he was, nope, not at all. Sifo Diaz was completely uh, a, a Jedi. Totally fine. Just, oh yeah. He could have said anything. Could have literally said anything. You would have said one of the battle droids from Phantom Menace went, I'd like to place an order, please. That still, at least he would have, you know, or, or they would have been on screen. So hang on, but, but hang on a second though. So did Sifo Diaz just decide, look, I know in 10 years the war is going to come, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just, I'm going to order a clone, clone army now, and I'm going to get this done. Or was he controlled by Palpatine to do it? Or, yeah, it or he was? Yeah, he was kind of compelled by Palpatine, you know, kind of, you know, dropping hints here, there, and everywhere. Uh, because, event, like, essentially, and also thanks to the rise of Skywalker, but I don't mean that in a good way, <laughs> Palpatine is the ultimate architect, really, of the yeah. Star Wars universe. Um, and... But who killed Sifo Diaz then? Did he just die in an accident? Did he cut his head off shaving or something? He. It, I shouldn't. Oh, he, I shouldn't use that lightsaber for shaving. Something's going to go wrong one of these days. All right, hang on. No, I just activated. <laughs> We're gathered here today. Um, yeah, I think I. I can't remember exactly. He's killed. No, I don't, I, he doesn't just not nip off to sleep. I think he is definitely there. Is you know he's he's over there and he's but, over there. Um, but it's such an incredibly important plot point, and it's just kind of. Yeah, this guy created it, and then Obi-Wan's there, yeah, sure. And they're going, oh, is he still alive? Is he? Uh, no, he's dead. He died 10 years ago. You're we were right. wondering why those invoices weren't being paid. But that's the other thing. Like, were they not in 10 years kind of saying, lads, who do, like, like, you know, if you work in business, you're going to be sending updates to people, like, and, like, the lads in Camino are probably there going, look, lads, who do we, like, we were getting an out-of-office response for this guy when, when we emailed him, like, like, there's, you know, the Jedi Order are everywhere in the galaxy. We're bound to bump into one of them somewhere. So let's just drop off the invoice to that guy or the update, like, and just, no. If nothing else, if nothing else whatsoever, it's like, all right, grand. Who's paying for the food for these millions of clone troopers that presumably need three square a day and this planet looks like it's a big ball of water in the sky? And, and then the other question is, right, who was going to collect the clone army if Obi-Wan didn't go out there? Yeah, that's... So, exactly. So, it's all right. If Jango Fett is... Of, he's very clearly and openly working with Count Dooku. Yes. Right? Totally fine. Like, I get that he wasn't on Camino when the Jedi went to get their army, but no one give him a buzz, no? You see, like, I, 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 this is Mr. Camino. I would like to talk to Django. <laughs> Django, just confirming before all of your clones are taken away in these massive ships, which are not in, are explained in any way either, were yeah. the Kaminoans also building the ships? If so, okay where it's a big water planet um like did Django screw over the the separatist was he sit, sitting there going like you know ha, 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 you're gonna get some shock now in a second lads oh backfired you know I was thinking of this and I I, I thought I had it for a minute or two because I was there going wait a second he's there with Count Dooku 
And does he now, does Duke, does Duke not realize this guy is a, the template for the million clones that are about to literally come over the horizon? But then I was there going, hang on a second. No, the whole thing was that Duke would get all the bad guys together so the war could start. Then Order 66 would come into place and then the Jedi would be gone. So I was there going, I think it just about makes sense. Right. And just about. And I don't want to think about it ever again because it just about makes sense to me now because it's too bloody confusing kind of any other way it goes. But like, what you know, when you look at, say, you have the million clones, right? And then they're fighting a million droids. And you're there going, this is the most soulless, completely pointless battle because nobody cares. Ro they're robots. Nobody cares. And there's these clones who have, you know, they have no parents, they have no family, except themselves. They have no free will. They're basically cannon fodder. And like, you get this massive big galactic battle at the end. You're there going, nobody cares because there's nothing at stake here. Like, Yeah, and it, it's something I've not watched much of it, as in I've watched two episodes of it. But the Clone Wars series goes a lot further to you know making you care. Yeah. Now, and I'm, I'm look, I'm totally fine with you know. Listen, you got to watch the TV series to understand the movie. I've been a Marvel fan for you know since Iron Man, so I'm fine with that now. All right. Yeah. But you're dead right here. First of all, uh, I suppose I suppose kind of jumping now to the big arena battle. Um, I will, I will say before I say anything else I'll say one thing all those lightsabers lighting up in the stands that was cool there we go that that like doesn't justify the film but I did like to see that that was cool it was like oh yeah and myself and Darren sitting there were like yes yeah. oh there was one point I was meant to say sorry and I promised I promised Paul I would say this there's a fierce amount of milady said in this film is there Fierce amount. Anakin says it every two lines or something. Uh, yes, yes, my lady. Yes, my lady. Uh, Obi Wan says it a fierce amount as well. And it's just like you, you realize, like it's a bit like when you're writing and you keep saying he said, he said, he said, he said. Yes. You are encouraged to use another way of describing. Yeah. Uh, th th there is a little bit of that going on. Not that I'm suggesting George Lucas is not the best writer in the world. So I was talking about the lightsabers. <laughs> um, that was cool. And, and I think we all kind of went, well, when it turns out Mace Windu's was purple because of course it is because it's Mace Windu and he's cool. And, you know, that, that's grand. And then almost immediately, it's just like, nah. all right, these amazing space wizards that can do anything and they are so powerful and, they are, and they're dropping like flies. When you, like, when you look at the, actually what you're saying with Mace Windu is really cool what Samuel L. Jackson said about it. He was saying that, He's the only one with a purple lightsaber. And he basically was uh, like in the commentary track and saying, going, I have my reason. And he said, I've never told anyone. And he said, no one will ever know why it's purple. And I was there going, that's actually, I love that kind of, that's pretty kind of cool about it. Like, I love that. But as, but as you said, once the battle started, it's just, it's so empty. And it's, and then, and then you, you're interspersed with these scenes with C3PO. C3PO isn't so annoying in the whole, like, you know, it's, it's clear as day that George Lucas is writing it going, I'm going to put in funny lines because that's what C-3PO does. But C-3PO does it like within conversation with other people. And here he's just basically talking to himself, just making constant comment. But as you said, the fight in the arena very quickly descends into just horrible, just kind of schlock. It's very boring. There's no kind of, you know, like when Anakin and Padme meet up with each other in the middle of the battlefield, 
like it's uh they're going oh do you call this a diplomatic solution and they're going i call it aggressive negotiations anyway there's a jedi just dead there over there are you you know you knew that guy didn't you oh i did yeah yeah but no he said look it's fine we're having a bit of witty 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 banter here it's fine <laughs> oh look there's jeff ah he's dead whatever <laughs> didn't like him anyway <laughs> you didn't see that one coming jeff did you Way. um but uh, just actually i tell you what even before that because one thing that even with the remaster, I think the remaster has gone, has. I think the remaster uh, has done this no favors. And I want. This is ILM. This movie doesn't look good. No. Um, and I say, I, I preface with this is ILM because ILM are good. They, they are good at their jobs, you know? Yeah. Um, if you get ILM to do the effects for you, it's probably going to be a good looking film. Uh, you know, gestures toward Jurassic Park. But um, it's just so cold. Uh, you know that these guys are running around a warehouse. And that's, the t- like, I think as, you know, as years have gone by, actors have become more and more accustomed to work with blue screen, green screen, and things like that. I think with this, like, you know, from listening to what Lucas was saying, he wanted to try something different. He was just trying to... Now, I'm not in Jesus, I'm George Lucas' apologist... But like what you said, like I love the work that ILM do. You could always trust them to do the right thing. Like their work has always been absolutely brilliant at whatever they've done. But in this, it was just the technology wasn't there to do what they wanted to do at all. Like, and, but the problem is Lucas persisted with it. And that's a huge problem for the movie because as you said, there's so much of it when you're watching, it, especially the battle scenes where like, as you said, it's like you're inside in a tiny room and you're going, okay, just, jump around, do this. Do you know what it reminds you of? You've, ever, you've seen the video, like you've seen it as a meme before of, of um, Chris Hemsworth and um Super Captain America again. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, Chris Evans. Yes. And you see them and it's from, it's from the Avengers and it shows them fighting the robots, but it shows them fighting when they're filming it. So there's no special effects in there at all. Mm. So they're just throwing punches and things like that. But you know, they're used to it now. They've done it several times. Like, But yeah. this movie would have been the start of that kind of thing. And you're basically asking these people, okay, there's nobody there, but you're going to do a karate kick on him and then you're going to drive, you know, your lightsaber into him and things like that. And you're going, "Mm, this isn't really kind of like, this isn't working at all. The one thing in the arena scene that I did enjoy was the, um, when they're, when Obi-Wan, Anakin and Padme are trying, they have no weapons and they're trying to, you know, for about the 30 seconds it happens, they're trying to take on the bad uh, animals themselves without anything. And it's, they're trying to use their ingenuity and it's slightly interesting. I'm not going to say it's interesting because it's not interesting, but it's slightly, you're kind of there going, oh wait, there's potential here. And then all the lightsabers come out and you're going, potential gone. There's no potential left. It's all over. So I think we're agreed. The lightsabers worst moment of the film. Uh, but, um, the oh, uh, oh you go, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go on. Oh, I was gonna say, like the the three the three animals. I mean, they looked great, and it's. I mean, you've made the point, and it's, you're totally right. It, the film was trying to do it way too much, way yeah. too much with the technology. Like the fact that they could do. Impre- some of some of the space stuff, for example, looked great. In fact, the Obi Wan's uh, Obi Wan Obi Wan's st- Obi Wan Obi Wan Starfighter versus Slave uh, Jango Fett Slave One that looks really good yeah. up in space. But it's when it's the close quarters stuff when uh, Anakin and Padme are running through the smelting factory. Oh, um, Jesus, that's so bad. Like I mean, that is particularly bad. 
uh, and that was that was bad at the time, and it hasn't aged well. Um, and that was actually like that was added at the end of production as well. Like that wasn't originally in it at all. Like it's just it's just like it. It's one of those things where it's one thing if there was ever a chance that they would actually be in danger. You know, and Lucas is not by any means the only man guilty of this. Like, you know, when you have yeah. any, usually any, you know, obviously Star Trek thing, like, you know, Enterprise probably going to be fine. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, things like that, you know. Um, and so when you have these extended, frankly, dull sequences uh, of, you know, manufactured tension, hmm. you're just kind of like, get to the point. But get, like, get to the point. It's like you said, and there's a few there's a few examples of this as well, and it's also a limitation of which is really surprising of like a Ben Burton the audio in the movie, which is really kind of shocking, is that in the sky chase at the start of the film, like Obi Wan is on holding onto the pro onto the droid, he gets shot, he's basically falling through the air, and like there's no sense of kind of you know of the noise of a massive city going on. Then a few minutes later, Anakin jumps out and he's basically falling. Again, there's no sense of it. When you get to this battle here as well, like there's no sense of kind of like, um, sorry, in the, droid, in the droid factory, there's no sense of kind of danger with it at all in any shape or form. And one thing about the arena battle is that basically from the start of it up until the appearance of the Jedi, the, uh, the sound of the crowd never matches what's going on like. It's almost like you're watching a football match and, you know, someone passes the ball and there's a slight ripple of kind of noise mm. and it just goes back to normal. And, like, there's no kind of increase in it. Like, you know, when, say, when Padma starts climbing up on the, on the pillar thing that she's connected to, there's no change in the audience sound kind of going, hey, wait a second, what the hell's going on here kind of thing, like... And what I always found weird about the arena scene is when the Jedi all like ar- arrive and take out the lightsabers, the first things the Gene Oceans do is they just fly away. They're going, yeah, I'll just, just dive into lads. battle here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. Screw this. This is my day off. I'm not going to be fighting today under any circumstances. This is, listen, lads, I'm pretty smashed. Like, I, I, you let me know how it goes. Um, and one thing as well, what we discussed as well, we, we discussed this before, like one of the things that really, really hurts the entire battle in the arena is the reused music from episode one. It is everywhere in the, in the battle. I was, we discussed it and I said, John, I'm going to try and make a quick list of exactly what it was. I had to stop at one point because it was there going, it's actually everywhere. Like, like, it's very frustrating because when you have one of the world's greatest composers uh, living, uh, I should say Beethoven was all right. Um, you know, when you have one of the world's greatest living composers doing the music for your film. And, and we mentioned this last time, but I just want to say again, Across the Stars is a beautiful love theme. Yeah. It really is good. And there's actually, there's a great moment at the end, which, and again, John Williams nails it, but I'll get to that. But yeah, it's about Across the, the Stars. But the use of Jewel of the Fates is totally, I mean, like, I've no problem bringing it back. It's a great piece of music. Yeah. It's Anakin on a speeder. Give me something else. Give me another reason. You know, Jewel of the Fates. Oh, I don't know. What would be a good thing to put this in? Uh, the lightsaber battle at the end. Much <laughs> just, just a thought. Um, but like, I really like the music when Obi Wan is on Camino and he sees the droid army for the first time. The music is brilliant because it's kind of this kind of wistful music as he's kind of walking through where all the young clones are getting trained and all that, and it's all this kind of this is cool and all that. And then he gets out to the militaristic side of it, the music completely changes. 
and you go, this is really cool. What I found really funny was when I was listening to the commentary on the movie, um, John Williams is interviewed at one point and he starts talking about music and movies and how, you know, music defines a scene and in certain scenes, the old music has to do this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He was saying all this during the Battle of Geonosis while all the episode one music is playing. And I was there going, do you realize like, he's basically saying you create music for scenes and right now you're playing music on scenes that are totally ill-fitting and they do not connect because that music is from a goddamn different movie and written for a different scene and you're just lumping it in here. Like, as they're going, this is, this is not the place to put John Williams interview saying that at all. There's actually, you've reminded me, there's a fantastic um, breakdown of the Hobbit movies on YouTube, right? And specifically, they, they talk about reusing themes, uh, particularly because the Lord of the Rings scores are amazing, incredible. And yeah. also, they were coming out at the same time as this. Two Towers yeah. and this film came out the same year. Um, and then in The Hobbit, there is a scene where Thorin is you know walking toward battle and the ring wraith nazgul theme is playing they are nowhere nearby and it's one of the most recognizable pieces of music from the original trilogy and it's that idea of you can't throw something over a scene just because you think it sounds good and i'm i'm layering this more at you know the producer slash director of the film um i i i I hope John Williams was not aware of how his music was being used in this film. Like that commentary, I hope was recorded long before the film was ever. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it's it's like yeah, we included him in the commentary as a joke, you know, uh, because that's I, yeah. I was listening to I'm listening to an audiobook at the moment um, about a film editor. He edited uh, A New Hope uh, for George Lucas after he fired the guy of England. But he was talking about, um, he was making a movie of Brian De Palma. I can't remember the name of it. I think it was called Sisters with Margot Kidder in it. I think it was. Okay. But he was saying that um, basically the person who was making the movie, basically he didn't have enough monies, but he started making the movie uh, with whatever he had. But he was showing investors a scene from the movie and it was involved a murder. And the editor was kind of looking at it. They had no music at this point at all first. And he was kind of saying that, you know, how important music was because he was at home one night and he was watching, um, he was watching one of the Alfred Hitchcock films, I think it was Rear Window. And he basically said he was watching the movie and all that and the music and was building the suspense and all that. But what he did is he turned the, the sound off and he said the suspense disappeared immediately. When he turned the sound back on, the suspense returned. So he had to, so basically the guy who was producing the film wanted to show a specific scene to the potential investors and things like that. But the problem was it had no music. So what the editor did is he took the music from Psycho of the, you know, the yeah. stab, stab scene in the shower and all that. And he basically just threw it onto the scene and completely won them all over and things like that. And it's in those situations where you really see what the importance of music in those kind of scenes is. Yeah. Um, and, and it's for, for, for say a composer coming in um oftentimes you'll get a temp track you know kind of yeah. this, look this is what i was going for obviously with star wars your temp track is star wars you know because you had john williams has done all of the films um or at least all of the films up to that point um and you know he would have an innate understanding of what and it does feel like there is just a disc it because i will have a lot of positive things to say about the score for revenge of the sith um yeah i think it's it's a big step as an overall soundtrack it's a big step up 
Um, but uh, this one, it's not, it's not like it's bad. It's just like it's a best of with a couple of yeah. new nice tracks in it. Yeah, you know? that's um, definitely the kind of way it is. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately now we have to discuss the worst part of the commentary. Well, worst part of our commentary is going to be the fight between Yoda and Count Dooku at the end of the film. Now, Sean, I'm going to turn it over to you. What is your opinion on the entire fight? Right, okay. So after a big massive CGI battle, um, the lads enter a CGI room. Sounds like the start of a joke. Um, Which, actually... So... you, You don't cast Christopher Lee, first of all, so that he will be lepping about and jumping and being silly. Because, again, think of that same year he was playing Saruman in The Two Towers, and it was, obviously, it was by no means entirely done practically, but, you know, there was no need for this, you know, nonsensey kind of jumping around. Yeah. He, Christopher Lee's voice wins. I don't care what the competition is. Christopher Lee's voice wins. Um, and immediately they go, you, you can see it coming. Like, you know, there's going to be a life battle now. And it's the only one I just was not looking forward to it. And that was bad enough. Had it stopped at Dooku, Obi-Wan and Anakin, that would have been, I think it might not have been as bad. You know, okay, yeah. great. Anakin's lost an arm. <laughs> Get used to that feeling, bud. Um, Obi-Wan is taken out in like a se- an- another example of, oh yeah, Anakin and Obi-Wan, great friend. Hello, friend? Oh, oh, right, Grant, never mind. And then, the g- honestly, the giggling started once we heard the cane. Yeah. Uh, and then he walks in and you're just like, what is the point of the amount of millions of dollars that must have been spent to make this happen when you know nothing's going to come of any of it? Yoda's going to be fine. You know that, you know? And also, I mean, yeah, right. Potentially, like, we didn't know if Dooku was going to survive the scene, but I didn't really care at this point. Um, And it's lapping about, jumping around, and it's just... It's... It would be kind of me to say it was, you know, I was just smashing two action figures into each other. Uh, and it carried about the same weight as that. Yeah. I, 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 even now, Joe, we're pushing 20 years since this film was released. And even now, I cannot understand the decision making that went into making that scene. Just never mind Yoda and his lightsaber, force lightning. If you're going to do something, do force lightning, and then it doesn't look as bloody ridiculous. What do you think, Joe? <laughs> I, you actually brought back a memory there. Um, I remember watching it uh, for the first time, and I remember, as you said, when I heard the tapping cane, I was there going, they're not going to do a lightsaber fight with Yoda, are they? I said, please, God, don't. And it was the, when that podcast I sent you over from Rotten Tomatoes and they were all talk about it and they were all there going, oh, that was so good. And I was there going, are you actually bananas? The funniest thing of all is the behind the scenes documentary when George Lucas is sitting there with uh, John Noel, who's the VFX supervisor on the films. And George Lucas is basically saying to him, oh, you know, this is going to be so cool. This is what everyone's waited for. And you can see John Noel just sitting there and it's just kind of this not as if to say this man is absolutely clinically insane but he's my boss and i have to go along with it the problem like 
again, what we discussed, this takes yet again another baseball bat to the mystery, the wonder of the Jedi. When you see Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back, like it's only, what, 20, 30 years later, like, mm. and like Yoda didn't need a bloody lightsaber. That's complete nonsense, like. And it, it, like the final battle between Dooku and Yoda, it, it's nothing. It's based on nothing. It has nothing at stake or anything along those lines whatsoever. Like, if you compare it, right? Like, obviously, look, you know, we're kind of getting older, Sean, myself and yourself, unfortunately, bring attention to it. Like, I don't I know what you're talking about, you <laughs> whippersnapper. Uh, I can see a few grey hairs in your head there. Like, I but like, starting to look like Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> but you start moving away from these bombastic endings and you actually want an ending that actually has something to it, some actual you know, decency to it. If you look at the end of The Dark Knight, the end confrontation with Joker, like it's not a big fight because it doesn't need to be. And when Batman knocks Joker out the, like off the ledge and he pulls him back up, Joker says something really cool. And it always stuck at me. And he basically says, I was not going to gamble the, you know, the fate of Gotham's soul in a fist fight with you. And I was there going, oh my God, that's bloody brilliant. And I was there going, like, that's why you don't need this big stupid fight between them because it was never about that. Yeah. And with Star Wars, with the Force, it was never about just physical strength. But again, we go back to the line Obi-Wan says to Anakin in this film, this weapon is your life. And like, even if you think of it, like when we, you know, when you see the end of The Rise of Skywalker and you see, you know, Rey facing down Palpatine and you're going, oh, wow. But as they're going, like, this is going to come down to just physical strength again. Like, and that's what it was. Basically, Palpatine was shooting lightning at Rey and she was deflecting a lightsaber. Then Kylo Ren gives her a second lightsaber and she beats him. And you're going, but like nothing has, you haven't really won anything here. Like it's just like, what happens if the battery on the lightsaber fails? She's dead. Like, do you know what I mean? There's nothing there. And even the ending battle in Return of the Jedi, you know, when Palpatine, um, Darth Vader and Luke are there, like there's so much, you know, emotionally going on in the background. Like, you know, Vader's trying to annoy Luke into basically snapping and then Luke snaps. He goes over and he completely wails on Darth Vader. He, you know, takes his arm off. Then he realizes, oh, wait a second. I'm going to become my father if I don't cop on. He stops. Then Palpatine comes down and starts electrocuting him, kind of saying, right, if you won't turn, then you'll be destroyed. And then Vader, you know, cops on, realizes, wait a second, this is all wrong. He just picks the Emperor up and throws him off down the mine shaft. Imagine if that was made now. Like George Lucas would have Darth Vader and Palpatine jumping around the place, you know, fighting each other with lightsabers, and it would be no more interesting than what we actually kind of get. And the same with this is that, as you said, nothing's going to change. Yoda's going to survive. Dooku probably is going to survive. And it's just, it just is boring. It looks ridiculous. And it just, it goes against everything. There was such magic in what Yoda said in The Empire Strikes Back about what the force is and where it all comes from. And at one point, like, he just literally catches Luke's arm. He basically says, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with this crude matter. Like, it's nothing to do with that. And yet here we are in this movie with him with his lightsaber and he's jumping around the place. And you're going, it's really just, it's, it's, it almost comes across as a lack of understanding about the whole series from the guy who created the whole series. Yeah. Yes. I mean, nail, nail on the head. Um, it, it, like, to say Attack of the Clones disappointed, obviously doesn't do it just <laughs> I think we spent the last hour saying how much that doesn't do it justice <laughs> it's, the, the potential was there for you know fantastic exploration of the descent into darkness you know the rise of the dark side of the force um, you know the exploration of the galactic republic um, in 
I, I do mean this in a positive way. How badly the Jedi come across in this film at least goes away to suggesting why, why Sidious was able to take over. It doesn't yes, yeah, do it in a good yeah. enough job, but it does at least go like, look, there's a lot of complacency. There's a lot of arrogance in the yeah. Jedi Council. Um, but you kind of have to fill in some of the gaps yourself. In yeah. that, which is, and I, I was laughing, I meant to say this earlier on, like, I am all for don't treat your audience like idiots. That's like, you know, kind of don't, you don't have to spoon feed everything. But I wouldn't mind something. Just, 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 just a little thing. Just be like, oh, I see what you're going for there. The final, the, the kind of the final almost montage, um, you know, we guess, you know, Dooku rocks up back in Coruscant. Good for him. That's a bloody fast ship. Um, and you guess, I do, I do like, although it doesn't make a ton of sense, I do like uh, the, you know, presiding over the parade of clone troopers loading, loading mm. onto the um oh I, I i used to know the name of the class of star destroyer i think it begins with a v this is I, very very poor that you don't know this show defiant class and that's uh, a, that's actually the d now there's a difference in a d and a v well, this is like originally that, the valiant so this, listen this is like that time i was working in a call center and i asked a guy to spell something phonetically and he said to me f for horse and i was there going mm, don't think you understand phonetics here but what i don't i don't know what he f's with a horse you know <laughs> like that's uh that's worrying um oh that's bugging me now Show what it because I'm 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 very aware of dead air. Show what's it called? Come back. What we'll do is if you can keep listening to this podcast in the very next episode where we discuss episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Sean will have the answers to this question. I will, I will, because they do they they turn up an awful lot. But this is the one thing I I meant to say earlier on. This is where I do like very much the way the musical score is cut here, because you get um, uh, chronologically you get the first appearance of what will go on to become the Imperial March, yeah. which was even, I, I do remember even in the cinema, it was like, oh, I, I like, because at the time it was the first time ever hearing the Imperial March on the big screen or, you know, yeah. that was cool. And it hard cuts into Across the Stars. Yeah. And I actually love that jump. The way, the way John Williams wrote that, uh, assuming it, he wrote it that way as opposed to it was edited that way. But anyway, uh, I really, really like that. Um, there is a glaring problem in the prequels, which we might spend a bit more on. <laughs> is there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just the one? <laughs> yeah. We might spend a bit more on this in the next episode. Right? It's all well and good wiping the droids' minds. But at what point did Vader not recognize R2 and, and, and C-3PO? They were the bloody witnesses for his wedding. Yeah. Like, short anyway. Um, yeah, and, and, oh, like, wear a glove, Anakin. I'm just grumping at this point, but wear a bloody glove to your wedding. Don't crush your wife's, your new wife's hand with your new robot thing. Uh, with your new C3. Anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so overall, do you like it, show? Do you like that film? You always ask at the end of this podcast if you if I'd recommend the movie. Now, look, if you're a Star Wars fan, you've seen it. If you haven't, no, I can't recommend it. I just can't. Like, 
I, as I said, I had to sit down three times to watch this fully because I just couldn't. The last time I watched it, as you probably did during the kind of run up to episode seven, I had to watch it over two nights because I just couldn't get through it. And I have no recollection of when I watched it the previous time. But it's like, it's become such a joke between myself, and my friend William, who I told you a story about when seeing the movie. We used to intentionally buy each other presents from episode two just to annoy the other person. <laughs> so, like, if. We, it, like it, when William was in his twenties, I used to always get him like birthday cards that would say "Happy," you know, two on it, and I'd write in the next number on it. But by and large, it'd be like Anakin Skywalker from Attack of the Clones, and I got him the, the junior reader version of this. <laughs> oh, you're evil! <laughs> it's just it's 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 a, it's a colossal mess it's just a mess it's it, it fails on almost every kind of aspect like with the exception of that the music we'll, we'll agree that's good Ewan McGregor's performance is good but the Jedi are a mess the love story is a mess the action is completely just it's it's soulless it has nothing in it whatsoever it's central character which should be Anakin Skywalker is presented as a prick and you've no feeling at all of empathy for him and one last thing as well is Years ago, for some reason, I was reading the trivia about the movie Pearl Harbor because I swore blind I'd never watched it. I heard it was ridiculously historically inaccurate. Have and you still not watched it, by the way? No. I oh, still watched it. I know what I'm going to get you to do for the podcast. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. But I think, there, look, you've seen it then. I haven't. But I remember there's a scene in it where one of the characters says, you know, oh, World War II has started like after, you know, as Japanese are attacking. As somebody put in the trivia, they were saying, well, at the time, like World War One was still referred to as the Great War. So like, you know, you wouldn't say World War Two is started, whatever. But it's just I always found it hilarious at the end of this movie, how they just shoehorned it in and for Yoda to say, begun, the Clone Wars has. Here <laughs> gone. That's this could be over in a week, like do you know what I mean, like it's not necessarily a war here. <laughs> and also like that that to me suggests so are they gonna be warring against other clones? Yeah. <laughs> like um are, are we are we redefining what it is to be a droid in the Star Wars universe now? Like Lucas, the metal clone. Lucas's original idea for this was that basically everyone in the galaxy would be fighting their own clone. Hmm. I don't know. Is that a better or worse idea than what we got? Oh, that's that's interesting. Um, like I don't know if you'd Yoda fighting Yoda, maybe I'd watch that. I just, I, I think as well, like, like uh, what I feel sorry for is I feel sorry for all the people who did all the behind the scenes work on this because yeah. there's a hell of a lot of work done in the choreography, in the visual effects, in the music, in the production, things like that. And it's just everything is washed away because of, you know, like too much green screen, the attempt to push the, the CGI envelope and wasn't ready and a poor script and things like that. Like when I was listening to the commentaries back, like there's two different commentaries you get. One is like the production, the behind the scenes commentary. And then the other is like the actors and the story part and all that kind of thing. And you just listen to it. And there's such high hopes from everyone in it in terms of what they wanted to achieve and things like that. And it's just such a shame. Like when you watch it, every time I sit down to watch a movie, you even know it's bad. And they're going, I'll find something positive to watch it at this time. And every time I just don't, I never, I've never found something good in this film really to kind of take away and go, do you know what? This is why I'm going to recommend it to someone today. That's fair. No, that's fair. Generally, I try and find something. I think you've covered everything that is worth covering. Like in terms of like, yeah, see it for the following. But 
considering it's 72 hours long <laughs> and a lot of that is <laughs> discussions of sand. It's, no, I just can't. However, what I am glad to say, although seems like a bit of a misnomer, don't worry, the next one's not as bad. But like at the same time, neither was Tommy Wiseau's The Room. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> join, join us next time as we try and find out if Revenge of the Sith is actually any good at all. What have I done? Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, uh, let's, let's look forward to bated breath to the next installment of your own crack Absolutely. Episode. Like, I think it, this, is, this is one of those times where I can confidently say, don't worry, it can't get any worse. If you are ever going to watch this, there's one thing I would strongly recommend you do after you, you know, want to put bleach in your eyes after watching episode two is find the Clone Wars micro-series that's on. It's on Disney Plus now. It's actually on YouTube as well. It's made by the same guy who made Samurai Jack. It's two and a half hours long. It's absolutely brilliant. It's really well done. It's The animation is excellent. The stories are excellent. The characterizations are brilliant. The first hour is really strong. The second hour, kind of, the stories are a bit longer, so it's not as good. But it's very good. It's really, really worth your watch. All right. I was like, thank you for that recommendation because it's always... It's always good to try and find something with Clone Wars in the title that's worth watching. But, okay, that's it for today. Sean, thank you very much for your Star Wars scholarly um, and, I, and also, Sean, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for this film. <laughs> I, Look, oh. George Clooney said before that he would actually pay people money back for going to see Batman and Robin for how bad it was. George Lucas really needs to do that as well for this one. <laughs> Says me, the guy who bought the blasted thing on DVD and then on Blu-ray, and like I bought all those flipping birthday cards for my friend Will. Exactly, yeah. You paid for a lot of this film. Oh, you I didn't need son of a, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, as I say, everyone, we will be looking at Revenge of the Sith coming up next. Um, I would love to do a series on all seven seasons of The Clone Wars, but I do actually enjoy sleep. Uh, so it, we're not actually looking at that at this point in time. But you never know. Look out in the future. Um, Joe, I think I got this right last time, but... Where can people find you online? And I will attempt to put the actual link in the description of the episode. The at Joseph Hurley instead of at show Hurley, which of course I have no idea if anyone actually has that Twitter handle. It's actually great because I'm the only Joseph Hurley on the planet. So it's actually great to have that. That's great. I don't wonder how many people are going to go out now straight away and get, get, get show Hurley or Joseph Hurley too. <laughs> uh, that is perfect. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for dropping by. Really appreciate you as always. We will be continuing our series on the prequels of Star Wars as we go along. Please make sure that you rate and review the podcast anywhere you find it. If you want to get in touch, you can fire a message through to me at Sean Farrick on Twitter. Likewise, if you head over to the Patreon to join the super cool exclusive club you can get in touch with us there and you can also put in your thoughts and requests for future episodes we will be back for another episode of your on crackmate show thank you so much again thank you sean not at all i've been sean and you've all been awesome